Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to continue in this series on the, uh, on the life of Jesus, a biography written by, written by Luke, uh, who also wrote the book of Acts, sort of a sequel to the, to the work of Jesus, but showing us the person of Christ um, as he understood him to, to help give a, an orderly account of this, of this person. So uh, let's look at this next section in uh, Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. You can be following along, and I'll read it, as, read it aloud. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went in the synagogue, and as was, as was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll on the, uh, of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled it. He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do hear in your, ta- in your hometown what, you have heard, what we have heard that you have done in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in, in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there, were, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to the widow, but to the widow in Sarephath in the, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which, uh, on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through him. He walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with our understanding this morning. Guide our thinking, guide our understanding, guide guide our captivation, Lord, our our will. Uh, Change us, Lord, by the power of your your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Back when I I lived in Baltimore, um, uh, at this point, it's probably a quarter of a century ago, back when I was in Baltimore, I I was... uh, I, I had I took up the hobby of mountain biking and trail riding, and so I would uh, there was a there was a uh, 
a park right near our house that I would ride over to, and they would have these, these horse trails that I, would, that I would run through. And I became very, you know, had a lot of rocks and, had, and mud and some little streams and stuff like that, and you'd run through them. And it was kind of it was a way to stay fit and to have some fun and adventure and take different trails. And, and you got to be pretty familiar with all of that. And, my, and uh, around that same time, my brother-in-law... Um, he was he was fascinated with the same with the same hobby, and so one day he says, "Well, I'm, why don't I come up on, on a Saturday and we'll go we'll go riding on some of the trails?" I said, "That'd be great because I normally would ride by myself," um, and uh, and I, and I kind of secretly secretly I kind of wanted to see how see if I was as good as he was. Probably, and kind of thinking, I mean, I'm pretty aggressive on the trails, and I wonder how aggressive he is, and can he keep up with me, and so forth. And it's sort of a little tender competition between me and my brother-in-law at the time. And so he's got his, he's got his bike, and we come up, and we go trail ride, and we're, and we're taking it pretty easy. And then we get on this one section uh, of the trail, and, we, and we're starting to go. You know, I'm starting to move a little faster. And he's right behind me, and you know he's he doesn't know the trails at all, so he's he's sort of just right behind me, and he and I'm and the faster I'm going, the faster the, the, the closer he is on my back wheel, and so we're riding through there, and there's mud and there's rocks, and they're navigating through these tight things, and it, it's not a downhill thing, it's sort of it's a flat uphill sort of undulating experience. It's got a little little bit of everything, and so uh, and um, we come down this one section of the trail, and he's right on, and I'm trying to, you know, and this is where the competition gets to be a little sort of intense, even though nobody, nobody's saying anything. We're all just sort of, you know, he and I, we're just sort of doing it, and he's, his goal is to stay right on my, on my wheel, and my goal is to try to get him, you know, to try to pass him, you know, or not pass him, but to, 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 to extend my lead in some fashion. And so we get this one section, it's a, it's a slight downhill, I, re- I remember it intently, it's a slight downhill with a, with, uh, which, and you can keep it's a slight downhill, and the trail can continue, but if you continue, you have to sort of jump the bike over this little chasm, this little sort of, you know, divot. Um, and then, or you turn right and swerve around, and you, ha- you miss that. Well, I, I didn't want to risk the, the one, so I swerved around. Well, he didn't know I was swerving around, and he went straight. Landed in the ditch, and I go around, and I didn't know he landed in the ditch because it kind of happened simultaneously, and I'm going so fast, and I kind of go whoop, whoop, and, and I'm around and, and beyond, and all I hear, ah, I just hear him scream, and I turn back, and I don't see him. He's in the ditch. That's how kind of, you know, and so he, he, took, he took a header down the thing, and, and he comes up laughing, and then I come back, and we're laughing together. He says, you know, he says, I was expecting you to go straight, and you turned. I go, yep. So um, the reason I tell you that story is that, is that uh, uh, when we live by our expectations, we will always end up in the ditch. That's the moral of the story. Uh, we can be done now if you want because uh, Jesus basically is telling and going through his, his sermon. First sermon he gives in his hometown he grew up in Nazareth, uh, as he tells the people. You know, he's he's the son he's the son of the town. He's the son of the people of Nazareth, and he's and he's uh, 
It's his first sermon. He, and he's been doing this in Israel. He's been doing this in Capernaum. Um, you know, he'll go, into, he'll go into the synagogues on, on the Sabbath. And, and uh, if he's given the, given the opportunity to preach, he'll preach, read the scripture, and then talk about it. But here's his first sermon in, in Nazareth, in his hometown. And, he, and he's given the scroll Isaiah. And he searches down with what part does he most want to talk about. And he reads from the section of Isaiah where he says, where, he, where it's talking about him, and, the, and, the, and what it says about him is that, is that the Spirit of the Lord is upon the anointed one. The anointed one comes, and when the anointed one comes, he will proclaim good news to the poor. He will, he will proclaim freedom to the prisoner. He will proclaim uh, sight to the blind. He will proclaim that the oppressed can be released. And he's proclaiming that the Lord has favor on his people. This is the ministry of the anointed one. And Jesus, you know, he, he, they read Isaiah. This is the great prophet of, of all prophets in the, in the Old Testament. And, and the beautiful language of what the, when the anointed one comes, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're looking forward to. And, and everyone's hopes and expectations are, 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 placed upon, uh, are placed upon the anointed one. And Jesus rolls it up, hands it back to the attendant, sits down and says... Today, what Isaiah was talking about has come true. It's been fulfilled. Basically saying, I'm the anointed one. I've come to proclaim, I've come to proclaim freedom to the prisoner. I've come to proclaim God's favor to his people. I've, I've come to change everything. All of your expectations that you've hoped for are fulfilled now in this process. And the response of the people is, they're, they're astonished. They're astonished. Because they say, you know, they, he rolled it up. Today it's fulfilled. And all spoke well of him. They were amazed at, the, at his gracious words that came from his lips. And they were like, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this, isn't this the boy who grew up? Isn't this the carpenter's son that we, we saw running around town? Is it, he's the anointed one. This is what he's come to do. And then, and then Jesus gets to the sermon. And I, I love, normally it takes like some years of sermons before they want to throw the pastor out. They wanted to throw, not just throw him out, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. I know some of you may have wanted to throw me off a cliff sometimes. But that's probably more, that's probably more an indication of, of getting it right than getting it wrong. Because Jesus unpacks the text and the way that he unpacks the text is by going back and saying, this, this, the same thing that happen, that's happening now has been happening since the days of Elijah and Elijah. This is not a new problem. The reason that they were excited about what Jesus was saying is, come to set, come to set prisoners free? Fantastic. Come to restore the sight to the blind? Fantastic. Come to, come to uh, proclaim good news to ending poverty? Overcoming, overcoming the, uh, the oppressors uh, of this world? Proclaiming that God favors his, his people? This, we're all about that. That was their expectation. And what they were expecting, what, 
what they were expecting was, Jesus, get us back to the good old days where we, the Israelites, are your favored people, where everything, where we're the center of the universe, where God is at work in us, and where, where we can see some of the miracles. And some of the stuff that they were talking about was, he says, Jesus says, you're going to tell me, do here, in, do in our hometown the same stuff you've been doing in Capernaum. We want to see some of the miracles. Heal our people. Restore the sight of the blind of some of our blind people. Tell us that we're favored by God. Affirm us in that, in that capacity, just like you've been telling all those people in Capernaum. And the reason that and their expectation was, yes, we love it when you talk about what God's going to do for us, but we're not so, and the reason that he goes through here, he says, we're not thrilled when you start talking about what God's going to do for everybody that's not us. They wanted to kill the man. They wanted to kill the man who was saying, God accepts more people than you think he accepts. God is doing a work in the hearts of more people than you expect him to do. And he says, this is not a new thing. This is not something I decided to do from at this point. You know, so the Capernaum was on the outside. Capernaum was not, Capernaum was not the, the center of God's people. Where Nazareth and, and, Israel, and Jerusalem were the center of where God's people were. And so you know, what they were saying was, we want to be the center of God's attention. We want do this for us. We, don't, we, we get that God accepts us, but... We don't like it when you tell us that God accepts them, that God's at work over there. We want God to be at work over here. He said, and Jesus is saying, this is how it's been since the days of Elijah and Elisha. He goes back and tells these stories of how, you know, there were, there were you know, during the famine, there were a lot of people in Israel that, were, that didn't have anything to eat. There was a lot of people that were starving and hungry and, 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 and on the verge of death. And who does God decide, who does God decide to send the prophet to? Not to the insiders, but to the outsider, the widow at Zarephath of Sidon. She was a Sidonite, not an Israelite. And he says, and, and gave, her, gave her the oil that would not, that would not uh, be depleted. God's looking to change the, to, to, to not, not just to change the insider Israelites, but to change the world. That when, that when Isaiah was talking about uh, proclaiming grace, proclaiming freedom, proclaiming uh, uh, release and favor. He was talking about that to more than just the people of Israel, to the to the insiders. And we're all and and there's a sense where what Jesus is describing. He says that's that's all well and good until God doesn't do what I expect Him to do. And isn't that the way it is? Isn't that the way you know, it is in your life? At least my limited exposure to human experience is that when my expectations aren't fulfilled, there is trouble. There's, when, when, I don't, when things don't go the way I imagined them to go, 
You know, we t- I talk about, my, my wife and I talk about the concept of God taking a left-hand turn. And, it's very, and the idea being, it's the same sort of left-hand turn that I took on the trail. And so when God takes the left-hand turn and I end up in the ditch, it's because, not because, and you, you know why, is the, the, you know why I end up in the ditch when God takes the left-hand turn and why I get a little angry at God for turning left when I thought he was going to stay straight or turn right when God, is because I'm more interested in, where the, in the trail I want to have than the trail he, he's carving for me. That if I'm more focused on what I expect him to do for me than focused on following him, then I always end up in the ditch. And in the ditch, by that, what I mean is yelling and screaming and hurt and and damaged and upset and angry and despondent and fearful and and in a a dark place because I, I was more interested in what I, the way I was planning out the trail, planning out the pathway, than simply staying close to Jesus' back tire. Just follow, follow me, Jesus said. Just follow me. Follow me and I'll make you something. I'll turn you into something, something that you've never imagined. I'll give, you, I'll give you your heart's desire. Just follow me. Don't, and, and, and my limited exposure, when I, the little marriage counseling I, I do, marriages, uh, most marriages are, are, that are strained, and every marriage is strained in some respect across the spectrum. And it's, it's rare that a marriage shouldn't need some level of counseling at some, at some point in your experience. Human counseling is necessary at some point in, in human experience. At what level? But, but most marriages are, are straining because they're living, they're living through uh, unrealistic failed expectations. I say all the time, expectation is the chief way to destroy a marriage. We should, you know, the, the, this, the, we talk about the concept of, and I mentioned it here on Sunday morning, when we talk about the concept of when we love each other, love is meant to be a one-direction experience, not a two-direction experience. So meaning, when I say one-way love, what I mean is we love with no expectation of what will come of it. Not, and, and, okay, and, and you, might, you might be releasing your expectations of being loved in return. In other words, when I, when I get my wife flowers, I'm not expecting her to buy me something in return. But, I, but there are times, I, I mean, I'll, I'll share, share with you an instance that we had, you know, a while back, is that I, I've been um, often, when my wife, and I, when my wife is strained, I'll give you a personal illustration. Often when my wife is strained, she's sharing her strain, and we, I encourage that, you know, get it out. Tell me what you're struggling with, and she'll tell me what she's struggling with, and it comes out, and she's overwrought by either finances or the children or the, or the, the, the struggle with her parents and health issues and, and, or doctors or, or how we're going to get all the details worked out about a particular situation. And she's, she's uh, spilling over, and I'm going, great. Tell me all about it, and I'm and I'm there, and I'm and I'm trying to do, I'm trying to love her one way, one direction. This is her moment. This I don't need her to respond in any fashion. I'm just here for her, and I'm trying to I'm trying to love the way we talk, which isn't just in deeds but in emotions. So it's not just I'm trying to just, not just trying to fix it, but I'm trying to say it's going to be okay, baby. 
you know, love you and just embrace. Like, I, I mean, I'm getting it. I mean, I'm doing the best I can. If you're in the moment, you're, you know, you look at that and make that guy is so good at that whole thing. I mean, he's a little, he's, he's offering encouragement and affirmation and he's, and he's providing warmth and acceptance and he's not trying to, he's offering solutions but not offering, but not trying to fix her in some capacity. He's not telling her anything's wrong. He's just embracing it all. And I can do that for, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 minutes and, and nothing changes in her. She's still as upset as she was when she started. And then I start getting angry. Why? Well, because nothing I'm saying is helping. And then, it sound, and then I translate that, nothing what I'm saying is helping, I translate that into, she's not listening to me. And then I translate that into, I'm doing a horrible job, and I'm a horrible person, and I'm no good, and I might as well not even do this anymore. Nothing I say ever helps. And so then, and so then I get depressed. And so I'm, now I'm angry and depressed. Why? And, I'm, and now I'm stirred up, and now I need somebody. So I'm angry and I'm depressed and I'm thinking all these dark thoughts and nothing I'm doing is changing anything and I'm not getting any warm feeling out of this because, there's not, because I'm doing everything to get a warm feeling out of her. And so all of this is now I need somebody to help me. And now, but she's not in a position to help me. And so now I'm angry and upset and I got nobody. And now I'm lonely and angry and upset. How did all that lonely, angry and upset, how did all that happen? How did we get to angry, lonely, and upset? Because I expected to get a result from the love that I was giving her in the moment. And when I didn't see my expectations fulfilled, my failed expectations, when I, when I don't get what I expected, the loss of that expectation is so grievous is so, is, is so, so it, it leaves such a cut and such a well up in me. It, the way that I try to salve it is by anger to, to correct it, by despondency to spiral into it, and then isolation. All of it's because of failed expectation. When if I'd stayed in the moment and I trusted in the moment that just follow Jesus, tell her true things, love her true ways, offer true hope. That's the gospel. And just love with a one-way experience. And if what I do doesn't change her experience, the love is still good. The love still, it, love doesn't have to work to be good. Grace is powerful. But if, if it isn't powerful in that moment, it doesn't mean that, it's, that the grace is no longer powerful, no longer valuable, no longer worthy. No, the love, the grace that's being offered, the, the, the sense of hope is still valuable in that moment, even though it's not doing any effect. But it's all because I'm expecting something. And Jesus and if I'm just following Jesus and I'm just living, letting him out of me, part of, part of what the gospel calls me to do is that, is that 
Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Okay, so if I've been crucified with Christ, then I'm dead. All of the, all of the meanness, all of the spiraling around me, trying to be God, you know, and what, is a, what, is a, what does a God most want? What, if, I'm, if I'm a God... If I'm, if I'm, if, if me, if, if I'm, if I'm the center of my own attention and I'm rooted in me, that's ultimately trying to be God of my life. What do gods do? Gods are capable of bringing everything, all of my expectations true. And so the, and so if I'm, but, but, and so if in that, in that moment, I feel like I should be powerful with my words. I should be powerful with my emotions. I should be able to change her. I should be able to, I should be able to, to adapt this situation and, and bring resolution. I should be able to, uh, to be her hero. I should be able to be the knight in shining armor. I should see some effect with that. I'm fighting all these dragons and I'm getting no credit for it. The Bible says, gospel says, I've been crucified. All that's been crucified. And so if, if, my, if my godness and my desire to be revolving around me has been crucified, then it isn't about me in that moment or what my expectations are. Paul goes on to say, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So now... What's happening in that moment is it's about Christ. It's about Christ in that moment. Letting him out of me. And letting him out of me, letting him out of you, it isn't about what I'm expecting, what I want, where I want to go with it, because if I go down what I want and where I expect and what I'm trying to get out of the moment, it's always going to lead to anger, and I'm going to want to kill somebody, just like the people in Jesus' experience. Here's perfection, telling them, I've come to give sight to the blind, all kinds of blind people. I've come to give freedom to the oppressed, all kinds of oppressed people. I've come to give hope to the poor, all kinds of poor people, not just you, not just the people like you. And some of the people Jesus accepts in, in a world in the day of Jesus fraught with racism, classism, misogyny, Jesus is always going outside the expected circle. And it's almost as if the people in his hometown are going, you know, he's doing all these miracles over here on the outside and the outside places. You know, when's he, when's he coming home? Isn't this all about us? Isn't this something that he should be doing for, for us and in our setting? Why, why, is he always on, why is he always taking care of the outsider? Why is he, why is he ex, ex, accepting those people? See, they're still learning. This is in chapter 4. Luke's giving us just the early stages. People are still getting to know who he is and what he's all about. And with an infinite God and an infinite Christ, how long do you suppose it's going to take to understand how he operates? An infinite amount of time. Here's the fun thing. All of God's children are going to have an infinite amount of time to do that. When he takes us to be with him. 
you're going to have an infinite amount of time to engage him, to follow him, to go down the roads, to see how he operates, to trust him, to live in that, in that context, and to discover more about him. In this, this side of that process, you and I think we know how Jesus operates. And so we're, we're, we're hauling down the trail right behind Jesus. And he says, and he knows there's a, he knows there's a ditch up there. He swerves right around it. And we jump right in it because we expected him to keep moving in the same direction when he says, just stay, don't, don't, don't keep your eyes on the trail, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. And he, what he's saying is, my grace, all the promises that are mentioned here, good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoner, sight to the blind, all of these all of these promises are far more encompassing than you ever dreamed. Far more, that his work of renovation in this world is far more comprehensive than you ever dared hope. The kind of change that Jesus is after is to turn, is not just to, is not just to help his people become lovers of our enemies. You know, that's what it says in the Bible. Love your enemies, right? He's not just trying to turn his people who get him into lovers of enemies. He's trying to turn enemies into his children. He's trying to turn the people who are furthest from him into people who are closest in the network. And, and the people who were closest to him, the people who knew him best at this point in a, in a human capacity, his hometown people, they did not get this. The, the people you'd expect to accept Jesus, regardless of the crazy things he was saying, would be his family, would be his neighbors, would be his hometown crew. And they rejected him. They were ready to kill him. Because they, because they could not put Jesus, their expectations of Jesus were greater than their ability to let Jesus crucify those expectations. And sometimes that's true with you and me. Is that what I, I get my heart, I get my life, I get my desires wrapped so much up into something that I expect Jesus to do for me. And with, the, with them, with the people here in the day of Jesus, they wanted the stuff, not the Savior. They wanted the blessings, not the blesser. Heal us, free us. Give me good news. Give me, help me overcome my poverty. I want the stuff. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not sure about the man. And you and I can sometimes wrap our heart so much around the idea of what we think Jesus is doing in our world and so much wrap around so much of what we hope he will do in my life or in this world that we get so caught up in that I cannot adequately appreciate and find joy and satisfaction and need for forgiveness in that relationship because I'm only ever seeing him through the lens of, the, of my lost expectation rather than seeing him through his own lens and seeing him, seeing my expectation, my loss of expectation through the lens of what he's doing. You will never be fascinated with Jesus. You will never be empowered by what he can accomplish if you only ever see him through the lens of your, of your failed expectations, of, your, of the loss of the thing you hoped he would do in your life or in the world. 
But if you see the world and your expectations and your desires and your, and, your, and your ideas of what he can accomplish in this world through the lens of his graciousness and through the lens of the person who he is, that he is being with you, it changes your understanding and salves the wound of that lost expectation. To not have the things that you'd hope for or to have the things that you'd hope for be altered in some fashion can be maddening. But without a Savior who is Jesus, without, without understanding and following Him in that process and being, being more enamored with, he can, with what He's accomplishing in His world than, what, than, what, than with what I'd hoped He'd accomplished in this world and inside me, only that can salve that wound of, of that maddening wound of loss. And transform it, not just in not and transform it not just uh, in, in the context of loss, but to transform it into. I never even I didn't imagine I could never not want that. Do you ever, as you grow older, you know the, the, it, there's something you really wanted when you were a kid, and then you get older and you realize that's dumb. Yeah, I thought I really wanted this, but then as it turns out, I. Glad I didn't get that. Only Jesus knows this. And he's operating that process in a global, universal context and changing our hearts to desire the things that he's providing. If we surrender those expectations, surrender those ideas to him and simply are enraptured with him. And what? what he intends to do in our world and the people he intends to do it through. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace that you give us at the cross and for, and for redeeming us, releasing us from the oppression of our expectations. Lord, and as we discover more about who you are and what you've come to do in our lives, that our goal, our goal is to be fascinated by with with, the, with what you can accomplish and with what you desire to accomplish in our world. Lord, teach us to surrender for it is not something that comes easy to children with great, with great fascination, with great failed dreams and expectations of what we hope in this world. In Jesus' name we pray.